then. Welcome back, Shadows, to another episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive with me, Eggs Benedict. And me, Alison Barton-Simmons. Hello, Al. Hi, how you doing? I'm alright, I think. Good. We're on to the second episode of this classic but lesser seen John Sullivan 1980 sitcom, Dear John. If you missed last week's episode one, it's out there, go listen to it. This week's episode, do you know what it's called, Al? I do. It's In the Club and it was first broadcast on the BBC on the 24th of February 1986. We haven't been looking at viewing figures, have we? Did you happen to write it down? No, I tried to look. um, It's not as easily accessible to find, I don't think, as, for example, The Good Life was. It seemed to be there. When I I researched it, it seemed to be there every time I looked Mm. at at how, when they were um, first on TV and how many viewers they got. So I don't know. I'd be quite interested to find out. I'm always. I don't know how they calculate um, TV viewers, but I've always been very suspicious of it. Anyway, haven't you? It just seems like quite a random number. I don't know. How did they do it? How, how? 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 What is the technique for finding out viewing figures? Surely they take a poll, a straw poll, and then just multiply it. And then even then, how do you know how many people are gathered around the box? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Seems very. Seems very woolly. Anyway, regardless of how many people watched it. Originally, it's a it's a great episode, and you will enjoy it, <laughs> as we say every week. So this week, before we get stuck in, I thought I'd, uh, although, although admittedly this is a bit maudlin, I thought we'd just start off by discussing my theory. Oh, you know the um, you know the the curse of Superman. Yeah. That befell lots of people who were in Superman. Yeah. George Reeves, Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, blah blah blah. Although I did read, actually, that um, someone who was in Smallville, who was a sex trafficker... Yeah. Somebody Ali, Ali, tried to... Ali Mack. Alison Mack. Yeah, someone tried to attribute the, the, the curse to her. I oh, think no, she's just, just a bad That's person. just being a wrong one. <laughs> yeah, she's just a dirty pedo, surely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wouldn't stand up in court, would it? That's no. a curse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I, I have a theory that Dear John is similarly cursed. Oh, Okay but only affecting the male participants of the show. Right. Because as we discussed last week, Ralph Bates died young, didn't he? 1991 of um, pancreatic cancer. But then when you look through, they all all died young, the fellas. We've got Peter Blake. Yeah. Played Kirk. He died in 69, age... No. (laughs) He died in 2018, age 69, not the other way around. (laughs) God, that could have gone so much worse. (laughs) Yeah. If he died aged 2018, that's a bloody good innings. Yes, um, but Peter Blake, I don't know what he died of. I find that really frustrating to you. These days, they don't say what people died of. I know it's none of my business, but... Is it I because usually there's some, there's, some, there's some story attached to it? Well, no, I just want to know. I just want to know what got everyone. I'm a nosy bastard. Yeah. If someone's dead, I want to know how he died. I don't, want, you know, I don't want a graphic picture, but just like a little line that says, you know, cancer, died yeah. in your sleep or something. I just want to know. Do you not? Do you not think though, if it doesn't say and it's not made um, clear that it's something, there's nothing said. It, the less said, makes me more interested. Like you say. Yeah, yeah. But similarly, Peter Denyer, who played Ralph, he died only age sixty-two. Oh gosh, they were all young then, weren't they? Yeah, and again, that was two thousand and nine, so that was a while ago. But um, no cause of death listed anywhere. Actually, there was one web- website. That seems to have just got this. Um... <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but I was just trying to find it, and it said died of a non-communicable disease. But then I realised that I realised afterwards that every single person they didn't know the cause of death on on this website they attributed to a non-communicable disease. <laughs> okay, okay, right, right. Oh. So anyway, Peter Blake, Peter Denyer, Ralph Bates all died. All the main main cast, but even even Terence Edmund, who played Ken. Yeah who is um, John's colleague at the school who we haven't met yet. He died age 69, also in 2009, um, of bronchiectasis. Blimey, do you think there is like a dear John curse then? Because that's... Well, yeah, I've not even finished. That's a high percentage already. We've got uh, the writer, John Sullivan, who died 64. I thought he was older, but he was 64, of viral pneumonia 10 years ago. You know, he he still had years left in him to churn out classics or... yeah. Perhaps just Boise in Shropshire, what was it called? The green, green grass. Green, green grass, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't so good. 
And then even, do you remember in series two of Dear John, which again we haven't got to, Kevin Lloyd was a guest, the guy who played Tosh in The Bill. Right. Um, he was a recurring guest in, in series two. He died aged just 49, with complications due to alcoholism. God, that's young, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of fuss about that at the time, as I remember. Mm. So yeah, but we should point out for balance that Belinda Lang, Rachel Bell, Lucinda Curtis, who played Sylvia. Yep. Jean Chalice, who's 83 now, and oh. Wendy Wendy Allnut, who played John's wife, Wendy. They're all yep. alive and well, as far as we know. Well, that's good news. But blimey, that is a, that's quite shocking, really. That just, just affecting the men. The entire cast of Dear John wiped out in the prime. Mm. Irene Prado played Mrs. Lemensky's dead, but to be fair, she'd be 110 if she was alive. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that was expected, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Of course, um, Ralph Bates' son's still alive. He's our age. Toby. Which is good. Yeah, we don't want to put the kiss of death on, on no. the guy who played Toby. No. I'm sure he's he's got a long long and healthy life ahead of him. Yes. <sighs> Christ. <laughs> so we're not doing a bloody rip to him next week. <laughs> We're talking about um, Betty White in our Christmas special, weren't we? We did talk about Betty White, yes. Do you remember at the end of uh, The Good Life how we watched the final episode, which was like a royal command performance because the Queen wanted another episode of the series making? So they did it in front of the I do remember that vividly because you bring it up every week, don't you? (laughs) Do you remember that? Well, I discovered this week, and I don't don't know if this is is like... um, Big news that, that everybody knows. But apparently the Queen Mother was a big fan of the Golden Girls. We were just talking then about Betty White. And the cast were asked to recreate scenes from the Golden Girls series live at the London Palladium, apparently. When was this? This is in, in 19, 1988, this was. Yeah. So probably at, at the height of the Golden Girls when it was on TV. And so apparently any royal... Family member could just command that. Really, to get the band back together and, and well, did they? put on did a they performance. Do it? Yeah, the cast appeared at the 1988 Royal Variety performance. Yeah, I know. So if if bloody Prince Charles really was a really big fan of Round the Elephant and up the Castle or whatever it was he called by have, Jim Davidson, he could get he could have it all Anita back. Dobson in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Apparently, they can just. Prince Andrew was a big fan of Confessions of a Window Cleaner series. Ugh. That sounds a bit more believable, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Mm. Um, well, best leave that there. Okay, well, um, as always, we'll be sharing links via our social media so you can watch this episode of Dear John um, online before listening to us, if you so wish. Or you can just listen to us talk about it. It really matters not a jot to us, does it? No, just enjoy it. You do you. Enjoy it or don't. Should we get stuck in, then? Let's do that. Series 1, Episode 2, In the Club. Dear John, dear John, by the time you read this life, I'll be gone. Life goes on, right or wrong, now it's up. So this one opens with John returning home to his grim little bedsit, doesn't it? It feels very grimy and oh, sad. I felt for him, yeah. And he immediately tries to engage with like a, a, one of his neighbours, a young woman, in the, in the conversation of this very dirty-looking hallway, and she just blanks him. Yeah. I feel that John, in, in this episode, they, they do set him up to be quite pathetic. He's quite a pathetic character, I think, in this episode. Very sad sack, isn't he? Mm. And he, and uh, this this woman ignores him. But then another fella walks past, and he's like, "Oh, I'll watch your old Steve, old pal." Yeah. And it's like, don't be so desperate, John. You know. He's, this 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 guy. Um, I don't know. I assume that he must know him because he he called him Steve, old pal, and and it, it did make me laugh that he said "watcher," which is like the eighties sort of London-centric greeting that they all used mm. if you live within, like, a mile radius of Grange Hill. 
<laughs> Further than that, surely. <laughs> Watch out. Surely they said it in Walford as well. Oi, oi. Yeah, probably. And Jim Davidson probably said it in <laughs> yes. Elephant and Castle or whatever it's called. <laughs> Yeah, but um, he, and he gets blown off again, doesn't he, by, yeah. by Steve. He's just not really interested. He's, you know, he's not rude to... Well, I suppose he's a bit rude to him, but he's just like, no, nah, you're all right. Yeah. Because he wants to go for a pint with him, but no, nah, Steve's not interested. And at this point, John does something here that he does a lot and doesn't always work for me, which is that he starts talking to himself. Yes. Well, some, sometimes it's in a monologue and it's like, an, you know, that dreamy voice to let you know it's his thoughts. And I think that's fine. But when he just starts talking to himself in a room, it's a little bit odd. Yeah. But Mrs. Lemensky is, is who we presume is his landlady or perhaps another neighbour. I thought she I thought she was his landlady, but I've read somewhere else that she's a neighbour. So she's just an, a, another another person that lives in the grimy bedsit. Yeah, another inhabitant of Sadsack House. Mm. Yeah. So she, she's loitering in a hall because she's a bit of a nosy bitch. She, yeah, she's always there, isn't she? She's always bloody loitering. Coming yeah. through doorways and peeping and... Or listening mm. through the wall. But she yes. spots him She spots him talking to himself and she calls him a loony, which is like a catchphrase, isn't it? She really she really does. She throws all this at, at John. He's a loony. What else does she call him? You're a madman. Crazy person. <laughs> Crazy person. <laughs> yeah, I like Mrs. Lemensky. She makes me laugh. So John John's had a letter, which he, he takes into his little miserable kind of bed sit with him. Yeah, and sniffs. And sniffs it. He says, our rotting flesh must be from her. <laughs> Which is very cutting. And then he reads it aloud to himself. Yeah. It's a letter, letter from Wendy, his wife. Um, she's not happy because she couldn't cash his cheque because he misspelled her name, which is Fitch. <laughs> it's obvious. Draw your own conclusion joke. Yes. And also sent her a Venus flytrap for her birthday. <laughs> I think he's quite bitter. <laughs> Do you think he might be? But she ends the letter by saying that she's instructed his solicitors to apply for an increase in maintenance payment. So while John's reading this out loud, he's quite jovial until he gets to that point. Because he's, yes. enjoying, he's enjoying winding her up and then he thinks, oh shit, what am I going to do? Yeah. And this is a recurring thing, isn't it, really? We find out as the series goes on. Wendy's a leech. And despite her new fella living with her and... He doesn't pay out, so she's constantly on the sort of scrounge from John for more money. So John really is paying for his ex-wife and her lover to live in his old house. Yeah, exactly. And he's paying for everything, it seems. He he gets on the phone to Wendy because he, he actually says he's, he gets himself psyched up to tell her what he thinks. Yeah. He says he's going to go there, then he says he's going to phone her. And there's, there's this sort of communal phone in the dingy little hallway, isn't it? He's yes. like, right, I'm going to ring her. And then as soon as he gets through, he unloads. Oh, I'd love to see her face when I tell her they found my body. <laughs> Hello, it's me. I don't know what the hell you think you're playing at, but can't you understand I have nothing left? And the reason I have nothing left is because you've got it all. The house, the car, nearly two-thirds of my meagre salary. Now, you can apply to any court you wish, but I'm telling you here and now, you will not get another penny out of me. Do you understand that, you you, you unscrupulous, money-grabbing, gold-digging cow? What? I'm sorry. Extension 179, please. <laughs> but it turns out it's a random admin person who's answered the phone. Yes. What does he? What does he say? What does he call this random admin person? Unscrupulous, money grabbing, gold digging cow. <laughs> which I thought was ace. But then he says, "I'm very sorry. Can you put me through to extension two, three, six, please?" Yeah. But then he he does the head bang again. He bangs his yeah. head again. Three times against the wall, and of course, who's watching from her doorway? But Mrs. Lemensky. Crazy person. You're a crazy person. <laughs> and um. When he finally speaks to Wendy, he's much more obsequious mm. and sort of, uh, yeah, he's trying to charm her into not basically ruining him financially yes. rather than calling her a money-grabbing, gold-digging cow. Yeah. He's, he's calling her darling and sweetheart, in fact, isn't he? He is. He's, um, he sort of slaps it all on, doesn't he? All the um, sweet talk in order to get her to call the solicitors off. Which you can understand, but it just mm. makes him look very sort of pathetic because she's taking a piss. Yeah. Yeah, John cries poverty, and he just basically asks nicely, and Wendy agrees to call the solicitors off. But then the, the, this phone conversation ends with him telling Wendy that he's going to the one-to-one club, and she just laughs down the phone at him, and yeah. then hangs up on him. I don't know why he bothered telling her. I think that's 
an odd thing to do. I don't know. It just felt like, why, why would you tell her? Well, he was a bit reticent to talk about it, but mm. she was assuming he was going clubbing and he probably didn't want her to think he was spending money he didn't have. Right. So it's just you know like, what I mean? I'm, going to, I'm going to a divorced person's club. Yeah, but he... I mean, she's a proper cow. She's just mm. laughing at him and everything. Really horrible. Yeah. We do meet her in later episodes, don't we? And yeah. I, I don't like her anymore when she's, when she's no. in, in person. in person, no. Uh, which probably means she's playing the playing the role well, I guess. Yep. So we cut down, we cut to the one to one club, and uh, we see Louise is putting up a poster for the forthcoming disco, and she's explaining that as well as these Friday night members that we see every week in in Dear John, there's also the Monday night people, and the Wednesday night people, and that they all get together periodically for the disco or or the social events, and you'll enjoy it. You will enjoy it. Yeah. I love I love Louise. She's great. She is great. Ralph arrives. He's complaining about his sprockets on his um, his motorcycle combination, followed by Kate and then Mrs. Arnott. Yes. And, and Kate wonders out loud if that imbecile will be there again. <laughs> and Louise shushes him, thinking she's referring to Ralph. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Louise isn't expecting Kirk to turn up, though. She said, "Yeah, we always get." The likes of, of of Kurt coming, and they never they never come again. Because they're they're expecting to see really desperate women, and then she sort of looks around the room and thinks, "Some oh, shit." Yeah. <laughs> Des- <laughs> I think she says desperate, sexually repressed women, and of course, um, we don't know at this point about Kate, but no. that's the reveal in this episode, isn't it? That she's a bit sexually repressed. Mm. But Kirk, unfortunately for everyone, does arrive. Good for us, though. Yes. Kirk arrives. He says hi to everyone. He says, hey, gang. Hey, gang. Oh! Second-hand embarrassment. Hey, gang. Hey, guy. Ralphie. Oh! Louise says, let's start the meeting. But Kirk says, hey, Louise, the fat woman ain't here. Because <laughs> Mrs. Arnott was kind of just out of shot and then kept coming in behind him. Yes. Ralph's oh. pointed out Mrs. Arnott. And he just turned around and says, oh, right, I do apologise. The fat woman is here. The fat woman is here. Yeah. He's such a dick, isn't he? Oh, no. He does it with such a cheeky smile. He does, he does. So Louise is is really seeking to clarify the purpose of the one-to-one club, isn't she, here? Yes. She says it's not just a social club, it's an encounter group, and she asks them what they understand by that. Just it's such an open question, and Ralph just says, well, it's, it's where you encounter yeah. people, <laughs> which is very true. It is, but then Louise volunteers a rather more sort of convoluted psychobabble-type definition. She does. Well, now, the club is not here just to organise all the fun events and crazy evenings you see on the board. No. It is also an encounter group. Yeah? Now, what do you understand by the term encounter group? Hmm? <laughs> um, yes, Ruth. Well, an encounter group means we... Uh, Encounter things. <laughs> Good guess, Rave. What kind of things? Uh, people. It's a little more than that. I think what you're trying to say, Rave, is that we are a symposium idea and formally seeking greater emotional awareness within the framework of viable spatial patterns by means of a sympathetic dialogue based on interactive cooperation and mutual trust, yeah? And then, and then she follows that up by sort of trying a relaxation slash hypnosis script on them all. Yeah. As someone who's done hypnosis training, was far too brief to have had any effects. But you can't do a a ten-minute induction in a sitcom, can you? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, she 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 reads it all out. She's trying to get everyone to relax. But it has seems to have the opposite effect on Ralph and John. John goes stiff as a board, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. The way that he's sat, it's really weird. She's walking around the room, talking all gently, and then she says, now that we're all nice and relaxed, let's take us our theme, suicidal tendencies. <laughs> yeah, just slip that straight in there. So, it, uh, again, at this point, it cuts to some time later, and we can see that they've been at it in terms of, like, their encounter group conversation and talking about things. Yes. Which I think is a good idea for this one-to-one club. To more than just a social club, they can talk about their histories and work through things. But unfortunately, the, the personnel yeah. involved... 
John seems like he's got a decent handle on things. I, I would I would back John as a friend to, to sort of guide me through troubled waters a little bit, wouldn't you? I think so, yeah. I think the way that he approaches things and the way that he speaks, I think John would be someone that you'd you'd chat with and you'd find interesting and that would find you interesting as well. And I thought this last week, when he sat right at the very, very beginning of the first episode, when he sat outside the pub mm. and that when Roger turns up and Probably dead. He I, <laughs> I think he's <laughs> probably dead. He he asks John if he's still still working with them vandals and, and he means the kids at the school yeah. and John quite eloquently describes that his job isn't about working with like hoodlums it's about helping young people and helping education and i think i think he john i think would be on our wavelength i think he would be someone that you would engage in conversation quite easily well to invoke a one of our recurring phrases from series one of this podcast he's a good egg isn't he like jerry he is a good egg i think he is a good egg yes yep I think he is, and I don't think I appreciated that when I wasn't as an as an adult. Now watching it, I can appreciate how how much of a good egg John is. If you were a divorced lady of the age that you are now, and you were down the one to one club, he'd be he'd be the pick, mm. wouldn't he? He would. I don't know if I'd, I I wouldn't fancy him, but I think yeah. But you know, it's slim pickings, isn't it? It's <laughs> <laughs> slim pickings. It's very slim pickings. But I think as as characters, yeah, you would be drawn to John as the most normal <laughs> out of the small handful of people. Yeah. For someone who's portrayed as a sad sack, he's actually got a, a little bit of charisma to him when he gets going. I think yeah. he has. Yes. Are we John apologists? No, we're John defenders, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Yes. We like John. Yeah. Tiger. <laughs> Ralph has been discussing his wife. For some time, clearly, to Kirk's frustration at this point, doesn't he? He says, mm. Kirk says to him, it's a well-known fact that chicks from the Eastern Bloc are ugly. It's a sweeping generalisation, that intake, Kirk. And he says, do you know, do you know what they call pretty girls in Poland? Tourists. <laughs> That's mean. That's so mean, isn't it? I did like in, in this little scene when Kirk is describing what they used to call him in the Marines... And Kate jumps in before he has a chance to answer and says, dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> Which was brilliant because there, no, there was no explanation. There was nothing else around it. There was no lead up to it. It was the fact that she just comes out with dickhead. And I thought, that is brilliant. It was perfectly timed. And it's a shock value as well. You weren't expecting it. Especially it in the 80s. Did you hear the woman yelp? In the, there, was, there, was, there was some random woman in the audience that laughed. Yeah, she sort of yelped at like, it. Yeah, hysterically. Um, I, I just thought it was it was perfect, perfect timing and and just the perfect word. She doesn't she doesn't beat around the bush with Kurt though, does she? She just shows utter contempt and yeah and disdain for everything she, he she says. Doesn't like him, yeah. But Kirk's just giving it his usual bullshit at this point, you know, telling just telling bullshit stories. Yeah, getting on everyone's nerves. But then Ralph starts going on about what's worrying him, which is um, <laughs> which is plants and something he'd read about yeah. their ability to to talk to each other and communicate with each other. And then he asks yep. Kate if she's ever talked to plants. And Kate replies, well, I've, I've exchanged a few words with that cabbage over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she can't get off the fact that he's there. I don't even know why she goes because he yes. repels her so much. Why does she even go? I did like the fact as well that I like the fact that Ralph confessed that he worries that the plants are talking about him as well. He really yeah. has like got very, very low, but so, such low self-esteem that he thinks that the plants that are um, in his company would be talking about him. Poor Ralph. Yeah, and his parents even took him to the doctor, he says. And, and Kirk says, well, it's better than taking you to see the Triffids. <laughs> see the Triffids! <laughs> Some great lines in this, you know, just back and forth. There is, absolutely. At Louise's pushing... She she's now urging Kate, isn't she, to tell them more about herself, any sexual problems. Yes. And it comes to light that she's been divorced, not once, not twice, but three times. Yeah. She puts it down to a run of bad luck as well. She says that it's it was just it was just pure bad luck. Yeah. John asks if it was the same problem each time, and she kind of bites his head off. And she she obviously not very comfortable talking about it and she says you know sometimes she gets very depressed at which point miss mrs arnott stands up it makes me laugh the way she always stands she did stand up didn't she when she said this she did stand up yeah she always stands up when she talks and she says 
when she gets depressed, she likes to eat a Mars bar. And they all just look at her. And then she says, one day she ate 11. It's a big laugh. But, I mean, it's funny, but that is exactly how my depression works, to be honest. <laughs> it's. I think it's, um, yeah, it's not um, unusual, that, no. is it? But it, it did... It did sound quite funny when she said it. The fact that she was stood up as well. Yeah, her delivery. But I mean, it's 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 pretty much. If I get really down, I mean, that's my relationship with food. I'll just go and binge like a, a whole pack, family-sized pack of. Yeah. I'm like Alan Partridge driving to bloody Dundee, eating Toblerone barefoot. <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> Louise looks like she's going to be quite sympathetic to Mrs. Arnott, doesn't she? And she says that. She's an emotional eater and she probably needs to form a strong and loving relationship, but then ruins it by suggesting the other alternative, which is to have her jaws wired shut. (laughs) Just when you think, this is the thing, the duality with Louise, she's got all this sort of like psychobabble and a little bit of understanding, but she's also completely tactless at almost Kirk's level at times. Yeah. Yes, she is. So Kirk starts telling a story at this point. He points out his medallion and he says, oh, have you seen this? And Louise says, oh, I've never noticed it before. It's a dinky little thing. <laughs> Massive medallion he's wearing around his, around his um, open shirt. Yes. And Kirk's story is that a girl in San Francisco gave him this cross as something to remember her by. And her words were, I'd like you to have this as something to remember me by. <laughs> but she was a nun, and in the end she had to choose between Jesus and him, and the big guy won. He does spin this tale, doesn't he? He spins this tale. But he says that she was a nun, but he, used to, he called her candy. Yeah. And when, whenever he tells a tale, he kind of like prowls the room, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Tell, it's almost like part of his um, part of his idiosyncrasy, part of his trope. That he's, mm. When he tells yeah. tells one of his bullshit stories, he's, he's working the room. And it is a ludicrous story, but it moves Mrs Arnott to tears, doesn't it? It does. She's crying. I know, bless her. So, in amidst all of this, I think John's had enough today, hasn't he? It's, it's been a shit day for John. Yeah. When he's asked by Louise about his lowest point, he says, right now. Yeah. At least he's honest. Yeah, he's just he's just exposing. He says, if it isn't bad enough that his ex-wife thinks she's a leech, he's had to listen to the parable of the go-go nun, <laughs> um, a fully grown man with Bill and Ben syndrome, <laughs> and then, very cruelly, a woman who's had three divorces but doesn't think she has a problem. Yeah, that's mean. A bit mean, isn't it? Just went too far there, didn't he? Yeah. We've been apologists for John again, but yeah. Kate's, um, she's she explodes, doesn't she? And she says, would you go around broadcasting that you'd had three marriages end because you're frigid? Oh. The room is shocked, although Louise... <laughs> oh, she loves it! She's titillated, doesn't she? She absolutely loves it. And she very dramatically asks whether you ever went to see a marriage guidance counsellor. But Kate's, yeah, they did, they did. But apparently, Kate's second husband ran off with her, yeah. so she couldn't, she couldn't even do that. Yeah, these are this is like the quick fire jokes that John Sullivan does so well. You know when, yeah, in the stories that they tell, you you know it rings a bell from Citizen Smith and Only Fools and Horses as well, like trigger stories that there's always like this yeah. extra punchline that you don't expect. It felt very um, Only Fools and Horses. I thought this scene. Mm. It felt reminiscent. It, it, it felt very familiar of of those the, the jokes and the timing and the words that that you'd use. I think it it felt like you got to remember as well. I suppose that Fools and Horses was an established show at this point. It had been running for five yeah. years, so this was like a side project. So you're going to see uh, that writing style in it. I think. Yeah. Anyway, Louise declares the evening a success, and they all retire to the pub at this point, don't they? Yeah. Kate's clearly very upset, having announced to the group that she's frigid, which is probably her worst mistake that she makes in this entire series, really. Yeah. I think mentioning that means that she's always going to get prilled upon. Frigid isn't a word you even hear these days, is it? Which is probably a good thing. No. It feels like a high school word, that. Mm. It doesn't feel like it's in, like, sort of common usage. It's not a word that you... I think it might have even been a high school word because of Dear John, because of our age, you know. Do you think... I think so. I only knew what it meant because of Dear John. Yeah. Uh, I think, no, it's like, it's not really, you, you wouldn't really say that about someone, would you? You wouldn't, I don't think it's, um, it's it's not like an acceptable word to use about someone, I don't think. No, just just as the opposite is, you know, like slut shaming type things are, are, yeah. are obviously quite rightly frowned upon. and. Yeah, it's part of that sort of circle of words that now you don't, just, yeah, don't get involved in. Hmm. Hashtag different times. Indeed. 
over at the pub, John is coming back from the bar with, with the drink sword. He's got a half a Guinness for Louise and a double gin for Kate, which she necks neat because she's obviously very stressed. Yeah. And a margarita for Mrs. Arnott. Oh, I love that. I love that Mrs. Arnott wants a margarita. Yeah, she's got exotic tastes. Yeah. In the dog and duck. And Louise has been a real, positively ghoulish at this point, isn't she? Pestering Kate. Yeah. Pushy. Yeah, she's saying, did they force themselves onto you? And was there physical pain? It's like quite uncomfortable it's getting towards, isn't it? What a weirdo. It makes you wonder, it makes you wonder why she's in charge of this group. Does she just want titillating? Yeah, it's all the psychosexual stuff. Just gets her, gets her off, I think. But meanwhile, over at the bar, Kirk is bullshitting the barmaid and trying to... I mean, it isn't working, but he's like um, friends of mine that I've known who I won't name, who uh, they're just never put off. They're never shamed. Yeah. They're just, you know, like 10, ten to two, as I used to call them, because in the nightclub at yeah. 10 to two, they, were, they crack onto some girl and they get knocked back and literally just pirouette and, try, and see who's behind. and then Just try someone else. Yeah. yeah. That's what yeah. Kirk's like. He just doesn't care, does he? Being... Um, dismissed by this barmaid doesn't put him off dispensing advice to John and Ralph how they can be more successful with the women yeah he labels them both boring doesn't he I, I, yeah I find I find the the, the character in this scene of, of Kirk um, is, is quite is quite repulsive isn't he that like just not taking no for an answer and and not being no humility to think, oh, well, you know what, I'm just going to I'm just gonna leave it, I'm just going to go, I'm, yeah, what do I know? What do I know about all this? And he's there sort of, like you say, just giving it out to everybody else. Yeah. How to be a, how to be a success with the ladies. Judging everyone. Yeah. This is genius casting, though, because he, he would have been obnoxious if he wasn't Peter Blake's smile. I mean, he is obnoxious, but there's still something that just makes you like him as a character somehow. I think so, yeah. You are, you are drawn to it. I think as a kid... Like sort of pre-pubescent me, thought he was quite fit. I thought Kirk was quite fit. Yeah, well he was. <laughs> yeah, and well I don't know the clothes I found quite repulsive, despite the fact that Saturday Night Fever is my favourite film of all time. That the outfit is like makes me go, ugh, don't like that. But as a as a yeah, he's a really good looking guy. What gets me though is that that look was seen as like the the height of heterosexuality. Yeah, that's that was like man, weren't it? That was man, that outfit. Yeah. Lots of rumours about John Travolta's sexuality, which we won't indulge, but yeah. I would say the one thing he doesn't look in those movies is heterosexual, in hindsight. No. It's a very homoerotic film, I think. Mm. I mean, similar in the, in the 80s, though. I mean, this look is a 70s look in an 80s sitcom, but when you think of, like, George Michael, you know, in, in yeah. music videos, like Faith shaking his ass and that. Yeah. Not the traditional traditional man sort of image that you, you can sort of like conjure up in your, in your mind. Yeah, it, it was just it was just really, really camp in hindsight, but it was yeah. somehow seen as, I don't think it was really crossing people's minds. But anyway, there you go. No. Yeah. Kirk is encouraging both John and Ralph to, to tell lies to make themselves sound more interesting to women. Ralph's not sure quite how to do this, is he? And Kurt says, well, if you were to tell a chick that you lost an umbrella on a bus, that would make your past more interesting. And Ralph says, I did lose an umbrella on a bus. I lost two. I like the story about the umbrella losing on the bus. Yeah, but, but Kurt's saying that you need to jazz it up. Don't just say that you, you never got them back. You need to make it more exciting. And I think he's thinking like a story of how maybe someone left someone found the umbrella and brought it back to him and they started a relationship. Yeah. But instead, Ralph's thinking more in terms of the forms he had to fill in to get to get the yes. umbrella back. And the brand the brand of umbrella that he lost and Yeah. Yeah. John, for his part, he says, um, he can't tell lies, so thanks but no thanks for the advice. But then he immediately follows it up yeah. by telling a lie to Kirk about he what does. about what he's doing that night because Kirk wants to go clubbing with him. He just gets himself he gets himself into into sort of like deep water here that you can't get out of mm. by doing exactly that by telling a lie when he didn't need to well I suppose it's a white lie because he didn't want to hurt Kirk's feelings and Kirk literally flat out asking what do you not like me yeah and he thinks oh now I'll have to make it so he's saying that he's, he's going to see a woman and Kirk says is she black I love blackbirds yeah and John says well I'll buy you a crow for Christmas <laughs> yeah hashtag different times but then it, it transpires, doesn't it, that the rest of the one-to-one members are actually going with Kirk to this club 
for some bizarre reason. Yeah, I couldn't imagine this. I don't. I, yeah, it, it seemed like the last thing that they'd all, they'd all be doing together, going off to a nightclub. But then again, they've, they've all had a drink, so, you know. That's true. I think Louise probably wants to hear more about Kate's problems. She's just probably just like been force feeding her gin so that she'll tell her more about uh, mm. sexual escapades. And Kate actually explains to John why she's going, mm. which I think is a useful scene to make it more believable. She says it's basically to stave off the loneliness of going back to a flat alone, you know, for somewhere to go and be around people. Yeah. But uh, John's sort of thinking, oh, shit, I wouldn't mind being in on this, actually, at this point, having made his excuse, yeah. given that everyone else is going. Perhaps he fancies Mrs. Arna or something. Perhaps he does. But he says, well, I'll, I'll come along. I'll be all right. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll blow off this 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 lady I'm seeing. And Kate's quite appalled that he's just going to, he's going to blow off his date with this fictional girl without even phoning to tell her. Yeah, that he's, that she's, that he's quite willing to just let someone down. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think that's what Kate was expecting. I think Kate was sort of thinking, oh, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a nice person. Yeah, it's not really representative of, of the John that comes across. No, because it no. isn't really what he'd do, of course. So that then he has to he has to go through the the drama, the cringe oh. drama of fake, faking a phone call. I could see this coming, and I knew I knew who who he was ringing and who was going to pick up. Yeah, you could see it coming a mile off, couldn't you? He does quite a good job of pretending to talk to someone. I think it is quite convincing. Yeah. But this uh, person, he's, he's saying, oh, I'm really sorry, darling, I can't come. It turns out to be Mrs. Lemensky, of course. It does indeed, of course on, it does. On the communal phone. Why you phone me like this, you mad person? You are nutcase. <laughs> you belong in a straitjacket, you loony man. And then, just before it ends, we find out that, of course, Kirk's Club is running a wet t-shirt contest. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's not going to be a normal place, is it? Full of fully functioning normal human beings if Kurt <laughs> no. frequents it and that's the end of the episode seems we've sung love's last song dear John I loved it I thought it was really good very very I tight did. written dialogue focused comedy with lots of gags I quite liked the I like episodes that leave you with a bit of a I wonder what happened happened next at the end, where mm. you sort of you can you can see the story still continuing. And I know that I do say that I like a story that's tied up in a neat bow at the end. But there was no mild peril. They probably went off to the club, and that's a different a different tale. So I think it also helps with the continuity of the story as well. That it keeps it it keeps it going. So like next episode, you know that that's what has happened. They've been they've they've all been off to a nightclub together. Yeah, and it sort of pushes the story on. Unlike a lot of sitcoms such as The Good Life and Faulty Towers. It's not all mm. self-contained in the episode. It's it's building the relationship between these people and building yes. building a shared history. And also, I think what the second episode does really well is just explores the peripheral characters a bit more. You learn more about Kate, you learn more, more about Kirk, and you learn more about Ralph. Yes, yeah. A bit more familiar with who they are and mm. what their bag is, so to speak. In two episodes, they've... We we we've got these rounded characters that we know enough about to give a monkeys about them. Mm. I think at this stage now, only two episodes in, what we're like we've only known them for like an hour, and they are already that we we know enough to be invested in them as characters. I think. Yeah, and I I, I tell you what as well, she probably doesn't get any attention really, but I love the Mrs. Arnott character. I love bizarre kind of one note characters. Mm. Quite subtle. Father Ted's one of my favourites, and they have just these not fully fleshed out priests who come into that show who just yeah. have one foible. And, and Mrs. Arnott's like this. She just sits there at the back and then pipes up with something really out there, doesn't she, every every episode? Yeah. That she's a great comic... Not not a great character, but a great comic device. She is. She is, yeah. And I think it would the story would be lesser with her not being there, despite the fact that she doesn't really do a great deal. Yeah, I love the fact she wears that hat every week as well. <laughs> Louise was trying to get her to take it off at one point in this. <laughs> yeah. She never ever does. Talking to Louise, she was my MVP. What about you? My MVP this week, um, I think I'm going to go John this week. John again, despite the fact that he called her, uh, he said that mean thing to Kate. Yeah, because I think the learning moment of having lied at the end, hmm. the white lie that he told in order to get out of going to the nightclub with um, Kirk, for me, was character development and realisation that, yeah, you can't 
just do things like that and hopefully then that will set him on a different path where he's more sort of true to himself as a person. Mm, yeah, I think off and on he is. Yeah. Mm. He still does bullshit in future episodes. I mean, yeah, John is just the normal one and he does. A, and Ralph Bates does a great job of it. He does. But I, I couldn't give it in this week after that cruel remark to Kate. Okay. And we didn't see an apology either. You would have thought would have been within character for him to come over and say, yeah, oh, I'm perhaps. really sorry about that, Kate. Why Louise then? Well, she's ghoulish. She's very sex pesty. She's she's awful, really, but I just thought she had some mm. great lines and, and her de- delivery of the line. She, her, her style of acting is different than the others in this. I mean, she's deliberately, mm. like, hammy in her delivery, isn't she? Yes. And it's almost like more traditional uh, sitcom acting performance, I think. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. More sort of, like you said, like a theatrical feel to her. It's more of a an acted yeah, act yeah. rather theatrical than the, right the natural yeah. the natural sort of acting of, of the other characters. Yeah, And I think I that's agree. needed and she does a great job of it. I, I think she's she's a, an excellent actress in this. And yeah, she is. I haven't seen her in anything else, actually. I have. Have you? She's in Doctors. She has been in lots. I mean, I've looked her up on IMDb. Mm. She plays one of, the do- one of the Doctor's mums who's got dementia. And uh, presumably... She isn't hamming it up in that then. <laughs> no, she's not. No, no. But she's 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 recognisable as 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 Louise from Dear John. Yeah, still. Is she a, is she an actual doctor in it? No, she's she's what she's the mum. She plays the mum of one of the doctors. Oh, I see. That that's that's really it. She's that she's just a, a character's mum. I was going to say if she's a doctor, it gives her opportunities to look into people's sexual problems. The sexual problems. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really find any 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 bric-a-brac, but I did notice the Vicar and Tarts party poster on the wall, which is probably... That really made me laugh. In fact, that line made me laugh when Louise said that um, you'd have to write it into your diary very lightly in pencil and keep a rubber keep a rubber handy for the <laughs> um, Tarts and Vicar's party. That made me laugh. I have a, a, a bric-a-brac. Yep. It was the communal wall telephone in the, the hallway in this... Oh yeah, of course. I remember them from the eighties where you had to put your ten p in when you so, you heard someone speak and you drop your ten p in and then you could talk, and you got like a few minutes till your pips and then it, then you got the pips at the end. Yeah, yeah, pips are going. Bye. And all the books underneath with all the uh, address the phone numbers in. Yeah. Big big God, thick yeah, books. Phone books. Mm. Okay, let's have a little trip over to Fashion Corner if you're ready, Al. Off we go. Whatever. It seems we never wear those clothes no more. Fashion code. This week saw John wear something not too dissimilar to last week. We've got, there's a bit of a theme, like the good life, where you know John's got his um his uniform for being a bit of a sad sack. Um, and it's a French mustard corduroy jacket, which is quite striking, actually. And I think it's something that, um, despite the fact that it's not really on vogue today, I can imagine that it would it'd pop up from time to time. But some, someone would be wearing that today and it wouldn't look too out of place, I don't think. And he's got the whole shirt and tie, busy man uniform on. Steve, who was a very minor character in this episode, is the the guy that walks through the um, Steve Olpal the lobby area. Steve Olpal, yep. watcher, yeah, him. He had on um, like a punks and skinheads bomber jacket. I think it's called the MA One. I've never I've never seen it referred to that before, but apparently it's like an Ameri- American military jacket oh, okay. with the it's like an olive green colour with a bright orange lining, man-made materials, so like don't sit near, open fire with it on or else it'll end up stuck to you. Um, and it's got like a knitted collar, waistband and cuffs, but very recognisable of sort of like the 70s and early 80s perhaps. Mm-hmm. And I th- that was like, a, for him, it was it was supposed, I think it was supposed to be like a, a recognisable thing for that character. You could see who he was and, and what he was about, I think. Mrs. Lemensky, who um, not really sort of, you know, the focal focal point of Fashion Corner on any week, I don't think she will be. However, she was in a plaid blue and red checked dress. It was like an overall button-down dress. You, you can sort of see her 
she, she, I think she dresses just for hanging around the flat, like like cleaning and 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 working at home. Yeah, kind of kind of clothing. But representative of the eighties. I think so. Yeah, yeah. She, I can imagine my nan dressed like that. Yeah. She she reminds me of Ethel from EastEnders a little bit. And Andrew Sachs' ill-fated sitcom, of course. Yes. <laughs> Dead earnest. Yes, indeed. Yes, she she she, she does remind me of. Ethel in, in the way that she looks and the way that she sort of just like pops up everywhere and, and the clothes that she's got on as well. Yeah. She had a little willy with her and that would top it off. She did have a little, <laughs> a little willy with her. Uh, Louise in this episode has a red skirt suit with a black and white checked blouse with a pussy bow tie which is what I found out is the actual name. Pussy bow tie? A pussy bow tie, yeah. Mm. The, the, the real name for the pussy bow tie is Lavalier, named after a mistress of Louis XIV, apparently, and popular in 19th century France. So it's like a large knot and then drooping ends, made popular in the 1960s in the UK, in like the UK and the Western sort of world by Coco Chanel and Yves Saint Laurent. But in the 80s... Yeah. Part of the political image of Margaret Thatcher. Well, she is a bit Thatcher-esque, isn't she, in some of her speech patterns? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I find it sort of instantly recognisable in like Margaret Thatcher. If it was like royal blue mm. Thatcher. Yeah. True. Yeah. You can sort of see you can see where that's coming from, and I think it, I think you're right. I think it's a hint towards the the stature that Louise has. I might have to rescind her. Uh, MVP, actually. Yeah, MVP. <laughs> Mind you, slash, we let Margot win it enough, didn't we? We did. She was riddled with it. John also has a, what looks like a club tie on. I couldn't get close enough to see what it was, but you know like when someone's like a member of like a fishing club or a golf club yeah. or a tennis club and they have like a tie yeah. from the club? It looked like his tie had some like little tiny emblem on it. It one-to-one. Um, it was. It was a. It was a. Yeah, one to one club tie. Some. Some kind of. I don't know. I don't know. Some part of his previous life. Right. Tie. It looked like. Some membership he's had to give up because he's paying maintenance. Absolutely. Now he's skint. And then just quickly at the end, we've got Ralph with his motorcycle paraphernalia. So he's like dressed head to toe in olive green. Mrs. Arnott, who dressed in a biscuit coloured hat and Macintosh everything's everything matched mm. and I don't know whether this is like a theme for her that her hats always match the coats that she's got on well, we'll have to look out for that going forward then yeah do you know where she would where she would look not out of place <laughs> let me oh, oh hold on she absolutely would do she would fit into the audience of the Royal Command performance of I'm sure you said this last week good life I think we did. I think this is going to be... This is, but she does. She's got that face. She's got the face for it as well. And finally, Kate. She had a green waistcoat, um, a blue open-necked checked shirt and jeans. And... Oh, no, I have got one more, sorry. Sorry, don't want to forget about Kurt, which is the same every every week. Black shirt, black leather trousers and a massive gold cross necklace. I don't think he had his own his white jacket on this week. No, he does. He does change it up a bit. I think. Kirk. I think he does have different kind of different Tony Manero outfits. I think that are all, yes. all, all of a theme. Yeah. Yeah. So there's always there's always lots of interesting um, fashions to look at in this. You're right. If we'd done porridge. No, just another jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, mind you, Ralph. There's not much variety in Ralph, is there's there? There's not. But I quite like I quite like it. I like the fact that the clothes in in this are recognisable enough from my childhood I can see I can see that somebody that I know wore that and it it feels more familiar I think so do you know what next week's episode is called episode three well the the episode seems to have two two descriptions two names um Ralph's curse and also death so oh god we should have called this one death given (laughs) what we talked about (laughs) Yeah, so it's not the happiest of, of content next time. Right, okay. It's not a person that dies, is it? It's it's an animal. Yeah, yeah. It's his, it's his best friend, though, so it's very sad Aww. for Ralph. It is. Yeah. So if you're liking what we're doing, follow us at Sado Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, where we post rare photos and videos on Dear John, Faulty Towers, The Good Life and more. 
We have a Facebook page that you can find by searching Saddle Podcast and we also have a growing Facebook group that you can join and contribute to with discussion or memes, rarities, anything that you might find yourself. Subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website saddle.club where you can also get more information about us, read the blogs, share us a coffee and listen to episodes if you don't do podcast apps. You can also watch the original episodes that we discuss on our episode notes pages or take our super tricky good life and faulty towers quizzes. Get in touch, email us at saddlepodcast at gmail.com, subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Yeah, on our social media this week, uh, although it won't be this week by the time you listen to this, so you'll have to scroll back somewhat. <laughs> there's been some, uh, I've been doing a few little quiz type things where I've posted some sitcom actors to see uh, in their youth and you have to see if you recognise them for the roles that they would later play. Ooh, I like them. Have you seen that? I'll let you see it after if you want, and you can see how you get on. Yeah, I'm like, can I do it blind? I want to. Do, I want to do it without knowing the answers. Well, you do it live, but nobody will be able to see the photo, will they? <laughs> <laughs> so it might just be best if we do it after we finish recording. Otherwise, okay. it's just you going, mm, ooh, ooh, I don't know, and everyone else is thinking, no, no do I for fuck's sake? No, that's not entertaining at all. <laughs> so instead, we'll see you next week for series one, episode three. See you next week, yeah. See you next time. You will enjoy it. <laughs> By the time you read this line, I'll be gone. Life goes on. Right or wrong. Now it's up. Love's last song, dear John.